Hello, and welcome to another episode of Clark Hill's Credit Eco to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I am a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. To call today's guest as a leader in the accounts receivable management or ARM industry would be, I think, an understatement. Roseanne Anderson is vice president, chief compliance officer, and public and governmental affairs uh, advocate for Ontario Systems. As the CCO, Roseanne oversees the design of innovative compliance management solutions for clients in the healthcare, arm, and government markets. She is widely recognized for her advocacy work on behalf of the collection, debt purchasing, and financial services industries, but equally acclaimed for her expertise in association law, corporate government, governance, and general counsel services. As we all know, jo- uh, Roseanne was Executive Vice President and CEO of ACA International, the largest trade association for credit and collection professionals. Roseanne, I'm so honored to have you to come to have you come on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Joanne. It's my pleasure as well. Thank you for the lovely introduction. <laughs> With pleasure. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> so, Roseanne, let's start our conversation. And we, you and I have had many wonderful conversations, but let's start this one uh, for the podcast and tell tell our audience a little bit about Ontario Systems, because I have watched them over the years and from afar. And they have impressed me so much and how they've grown and their vision uh, of how to grow and how to grow the right way. Absolutely. Uh, Ontario Systems is, oh, geez, it was started just about the same time that the FDCPA was passed. In fact, (laughs) when I listen to the founders um, tell their story about how they actually Um, decided to invent the software, design the software that launched Ontario Systems today, it's absolutely fascinating. And it is definitely one of those stories where, um, I mean, it's kind of a euphemism to say it started in their garage, but in a way it did. They were both um, Ford Motor plant executives and they had a vision. They had to bring their wares at one time to um, an ACA convention, actually. Mm -hmm. had no idea that this debt collection industry existed. And it turns out that one of their friends in Indianapolis um, was the owner of a debt collection agency. And he said to these guys, you're smart. If you can help me basically move from cards to computers, um, I will be indebted to you because my clients, at the time that collector was collecting for the credit card companies, some of the big companies already in existence. And uh, Ron Farquhar and Will Davis um, set out to do just that and that birthed Ontario Systems that we know today. It has grown from a small, you know, privately owned company to um, quite a large organization um, that not only services the collection industry, um, it services the healthcare industry and federal, state, and local government with software and payment services. It's fascinating because you think about the 70s, who was doing technology then? That was, you know, you're right. It was cards and and it was file cards and paper. And, you know, how do you keep, how do you keep yourself organized with something like that? So it's interesting because there's so many parallels now 
to what was happening in the 70s to what's happening today. And even though they were uh, in the forefront of technology in the 70s, the industry for the most part has not been. Right. Do you agree with that? I would agree with that. It, I, I would almost say this industry is um, what could have been defined, maybe not as today as much, but mm-hmm. technology resistant. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure what the um, reason for that is, but um, it is changing. It is absolutely changing. And I think it's because as a misunderstood industry as part of the financial services uh, environment, mm-hmm. system, if you will, the system. <clears throat> It's the big buzzword. Uh, collection agencies, uh, by and large, I mean, we know the stories. I'm not going to talk about the, some of the, um, um, the stories that are not, do not exemplify the collection industry in the way that it should be. But uh, basically, they've been waiting for a green light with mm-hmm. regard to um, their ability to embrace technology to um, do things quicker, better, faster, and improve the consumer experience. So true. So true. But Ontario has even taken a step forward, which was the reason I wanted to have you come on the podcast today. Because, you know, as, as we just talked about, collections is part of the whole credit ecosystem. And it involves so many aspects of it from the beginning to the end. We might be looked at as the, as the back end of financial services, but it fuels mm-hmm. the front end of it as well, as we all know. Mm-hmm. But um, in talking with you and, and what you have just stated, they're looking at payment. Ontario's now is looking at payment processing. And I would love you to talk about how they're expanding in this area because it really is, it's fascinating. And I think it'll be game changing. <clears throat> well, um, we can go two ways with this. And I think I'm going to tell the, uh, you tell me, Joanne, I would like to tell that story I shared with you about really what drove uh, Ontario systems into this new space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go for it. Well, it, it ties perfectly, thank you, it ties perfectly to the collection industry because um, as you listen to Joanne um, detail my bio, I've been around since 96, in the industry specifically, since 83 as a practicing attorney. And in the, from 96, I'd say to 2010, um, during my, that my experience, my, my service at ACA International, we constantly heard complaints, concerns, and pleas from the industry about their inability to be recognized as a merchant of uh, um, Visa card and MasterCard. And the reason was, again, as a misunderstood industry, uh, we were classified as a high-risk industry. Uh, many of the acquiring banks in the payment electronic payment process um, uh, uh, chain were simply leery of approving collection agencies as merchants authorized to process cards. Uh, and that, the, you know, we, we suffered through that period. Um, and in fact, many agencies literally changed their name so that it wasn't as obvious that they were a collection agency. Um, and this kind of flies in the face of the pride that the industry has um, in itself um, over the years. But nonetheless, in order to succeed, they were resilient and changed their names to be a little bit more euphemistic in terms of their um, purpose. Well, anyway, so they weren't the only industry suffering with this uh, label or this inability in general to have, to obtain merchant status with Visa MasterCard as a condition of processing cards. So 
think about Uber. Think about um, all sorts of flea markets, small enterprises, ma and pa shops of any, any category. All of these organizations were literally locked out of the Visa MasterCard process because they could not, as individuals, as small organizations, meet the requirements that are imposed on having merchant status for Visa MasterCard. It's a costly experience. Uh, You need a very robust uh, infrastructure to meet their requirements. And so enough said, challenges existed. So what happened? It's I love I love to study the marketplace and <laughs> because the marketplace reacted and in particular Visa Mastercard they decided what could we do to assist these organizations that are otherwise not capable of acquiring our merchant status. What could we do to help them enter into the world of processing credit card payments? And they came up with a, with a, with a new entity structure called the Payment Facilitator. The Payment Facilitator is an organization that Visa MasterCard recognizes. There are only 300 of them in the United States using round numbers. And these Payment Facilitators basically stand between There's Visa, MasterCard, they have the bank that processes the payments, and the payment facilitator stands between that bank and the uh, sub-merchant, the debt collection agency, the Uber driver, the um, small um, mom-type organization. Any retailer, really. Any retail, right. And so um, the payment facilitator is positioned in this process to um, basically vouch for its sub to exercise the due diligence required to make sure that they will vouch to the acquiring bank and visa, you know what, we've, we've exercised due diligence, we've certified these companies as being uh, appropriate um, with regard to Visa MasterCard standards, what they can't do, we will. Boom. That opened up a whole new uh, opportunity for our industry in particular. Well, to get to the end result of this, um, and it's really of reinvention. And I, I think that's the message I would like to share with your audience today is the, uh, the need to uh, just reinvent oneself, whether it's personally or as a, as a company. And um, what happened was, is uh, the payment facilitator really opened up this whole opportunity for the collection industry, uh, regardless of your size, regardless of the number of um, uh, payments or amounts of the payments you process, to um, accept credit cards as under their own name. And uh, Ontario Systems, um, in one of its more recent, uh, the more recent transactions in terms of our, uh, the acquisition of the company, um, very aware of the newfound role of the payment facilitator, decided to assist its client base, its growing client base, mm-hmm. in this process by actually becoming a payment facilitator. So now Ontario Systems, as one of those 300 payment facilitators, actually we own two, we, are two, we actually have two sides of our, our company. One is for the government space, we are a payment facilitator for the government. And then on the other side for the um, debt collection space and healthcare space, we are also serving as a payment facilitator. So that the software we sell integrates with this payment facilitator role. We exercise the due diligence it really is going to um, um, bring Ontario Systems to um, a new level of growth within the financial services industry, but also um, become a very 
powerful boost to the um, to the collection agencies and hospitals it's served. So it's been an exciting journey, and we're not all the way through it, but it's very, very exciting. When, is it a form of a certification? Is it something you have to apply for with regulators? When did you officially get that title? As a payment facilitator? Yes. Correct. The- we, we actually, you can do things two ways in this world. Yeah. Uh, and we purchase. Easy and hard. <laughs> right, easy and hard, right. And so the, the, uh, the easy way, if you will, was to um, acquire a company, which then um, was already known as a payment facilitator, had already received that approval and gone through the due diligence process with Visa MasterCard. The name of that company happens to be SwervePay. And SwervePay then had to work with Visa MasterCard to make sure that um, during this acquisition, Ontario Systems could in fact acquire it, if you will, so that it mm-hmm. were permitted to assume that um, broader as a payment facilitator. So it's it's not something that you, it's not turnkey, not anyone can buy a payment facilitator, not any company can become a payment facilitator. That is uh, the subject to the Visa MasterCard approval process. Interesting. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's, there's Bank Secrecy Act and anti-money laundering regulations that banks have. And uh, the, the, the acronym, acronym for that is KYC, not to be confused with KFC, but you know, <laughs> you're a customer. And it's this idea that this, this responsibility that's put upon banks, you know, when they're receiving money, when they're sending out money, when they're doing loans, to know who they're doing business with. And this is somewhat similar. Um, doesn't seem like a... In the credit card space, as you know, Roseanne, the regulatory scheme is very fragmented. Um, when you were talking about the corresponding bank and, and the merchant, I, I think about there's a, there's a diagram that I think was done, um, uh, I forget, by one of the regulators of, of how credit card payments go through the process. Mm-hmm. You know, and it looks like, you know, you get a headache looking at it. Because right. It's going in 10 different right. directions. Right. But, you know, it's fascinating. There really is, you have to kind of piecemeal various regulations to really understand. I think it was actually the FDIC put this together, but there's right. no real scheme for this. And, but, you know, in listening to you, it is about what you're basically doing is raising your hand and we're going to say, we're going to do our deal. We're going to KYC uh, who we do business with and we're going to certify that. And it is really, it's fascinating because it does open a lot of doors and it does streamline the process. But at the same time, as I'm sure you, you would agree for Ontario systems, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of responsibility and, and, and insurance of compliance uh, that you have to be responsible for. So I'm sure it, it takes a lot to maintain that status. It, it, it does. It's, it's, uh, it does take a lot of effort, but for, fortunately, you know, sometimes uh, growth goes hand in hand with hard work. And I, re- I remember um, a photographer for a National Geographic magazine. Uh, the, the, of all the, you know, the um, speeches that you can listen to, these motivational speakers, there's one fellow, one, one story that has uh, really guided my personal path. And it is, for him, it was putting yourself as a photographer in the position for opportunity. So you don't just stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and think, okay, here's my photo. You f- position yourself the time of day, the position on the, you know, the cliffside, 
certified, et cetera, how do you position yourself for taking the best, most exceptional picture possible? And, and he translated that to um, our workplace environment and business owners. How do you position yourself in the best pace, place to even see an opportunity, much less seize the opportunity? And so I think that's one um, hallmark of Ontario Systems. It was able to, um, it, able to put itself in a position through the expansion of its in- infrastructure, the increased professionalism of its uh, leadership team, et cetera. Um, and and when, it, when this opportunity came along, it was able and ready to seize it. And that, that's really the message. I, I don't want to talk, I'm, every, anyone who knows me, I'm not bragging about Ontario Systems as much as I'm trying to um, share the experience that I think can be applied to others in their business um, every single day. You know, whether it's you as an individual, there are some people that wait to be told what to do. There are other people that um, are are the ones who suggest how we do something next. You know, they bring information to the table. And I I think that's what Ontario has done with its customer base. It's it's saying, look, we're in, we're, we're, we're heavily penetrated already into the debt collection market, but what more can we do for our customer base? And I think listening, whether you're a, a bank, a collection agency owner, a debt buyer, you name it, your, your law firm, what more, the question really is, what more could we do for our client base and thereby also, you know, raise all boats, you know, that expression. So right. I'm a firm believer in that philosophy. And that's why I had you on, Roseanne, based on on many of our conversations. Um, And it's really why we put the podcast together, too. It's we have to think differently. Um, You know, we we all got blindsided for the most part Mm -hmm. back in March. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of, you know, woke up and said, you know, oh, oh my, what do I do? Um, as, As you and I have talked about, this industry... Uh, really embraced technology and they were tiptoeing around it for a long time. Part of it was necessity. Part of it was, as you say, reinvention. But Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, how we, as you say, how we service our clients, how we service consumers, that whole discussion now needs to change because consumers are different now. I mean, before we were chasing them, now we know where they are. Right. Most of them are home. That's true. Right. That's true. <laughs> they're they're right. home, and so right. now that we have their, uh, we we have their attention. What can we do to make them? We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to make them understand us better and what we can do for them. And the same thing with our clients. Many of our clients are home or they're in their home office. They're not on a plane anymore. Right. They're not at a conference. The, there's no right. out of office message anymore. I feel no. weird to say I'm out of the office because I've been out of the office since March. Right. 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 You know, it's. Right. It's all very different, but I, you know, I'm temporarily away from. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not picking up. I'm not answering emails today. I don't, right. way, I don't know the eloquent way of saying I'm not going to talk to you today. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sitting at home. But as I said, the reason I wanted to have you come on the podcast and talk about this is that, you know, in, innovation and reinvention, as you say, uh, are the keys right now. And so I think Ontario's story is so important and can be applied anywhere. I do. Right? I think so too. It can be for the petroleum industry. Who knows? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so. Right. Uh, the, the other thing I did want to mention, you know how um, we talk about the changing consumer experience. You know what else yeah. has changed dramatically since 96 and in the present day? For me, what I observed is that when I first came on board, um, 
I've always, it doesn't matter. We, it could be another conversation why I love this industry so much. But nonetheless, I noticed that um, not everyone, but there was a percentage of the industry that still used the term deadbeat. Right. Um, to, to, if not describe the party who obligated to make a payment on a debt, a charge out debt, but also the, I think it colored their thinking about who was on the other end of that phone call. Right. And if you fast forward to, you know, and then we've gone through consumer, and I think that's a better term. You think about the consumer, the patient, the constituent. Then we were, so in some arenas, we were actually calling those individuals customers. And that is, a lot of that is done to change how you think about who's on the other end of the phone. And what's happened as a result of COVID is no longer is there this separation between the calling party and the called party in terms of their station in life. What perceived exactly right. Your neighbor, for heaven's sakes. It's anybody. It's all of us. Anybody could be the one who is, ne- do you know what I mean? It's absolutely. We're all in the same boat. Yeah. We're absolutely in this. doesn't matter who you are, what you did prior to March. We all are. It is an equal opportunity crisis. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Great point. Absolute great point. And I think that's great food for thought as we start to think about how better to reinvent ourselves and and, and what we're going to look like, uh, hopefully, when all this is over. Uh, Hopefully, that will be soon. Right. Uh, Roseanne, such a great conversation. Thank you so much. But uh, I'm not going to let you go so fast. A uh, couple things we do on Credit Eco to go and ask all our uh, guests to, to answer a few questions for us. So the first one is, uh, this is a to-go theme podcast. Um, we want people to grab and go our, 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 our episodes and listen to them, listen to them when it's convenient. Uh, but uh, our listeners are interested in hearing about any of your favorite takeout experiences you may have had while you were sheltering in place. And do you have an experience that you can share with us? I do have an experience uh, that I can share. If um, anyone doing any amount of math can figure out I'm not 24. And <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what happened in our family is that Our daughter and son-in-law, who have three children and very full-time jobs, were faced, like all Americans really in that situation, they were faced with having to homeschool their children on the fly Mm. and struggling between, even though they were both working remotely, you know, remotely, remote workers are now, I think, better understood generally as not people who are not constantly doing laundry. (laughs) I I always get wildly upset when people say, oh, you must be up on, you know, I don't just do laundry for gosh sake. (laughs) So um, the, the, the way this hit our family with regard to COVID was fortunately not in terms of anyone contracting the disease, but my observation that my family actually really needed my attention and support in a very physical human way. And I adjusted my schedule for about three months where I started my workday at six, the beauty of working at home. You don't need to be beautiful. And 
I started my work day at six. I worked until one. I went to their house and worked with the kids for four hours. Half of it was like homeschooling. Half of it was, you know, and then I come back home and finish my work day um, for Ontario Systems and doing that juggling act for about three months. And that uh, was uh, a cool time for me. I have no idea if the grandchildren, if they truly appreciated it or not, but it was the way that COVID impacted my life and, and, um, you know, that since came to a halt, but, um, fortunately then people were able to, the kids were adjusted, but it was, it was a cool time, but it was, um, it was, it was, uh, I was tired. <laughs> I, was I bet. I bet. Tired. That's a wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, very meaningful. Um, lastly, we, um, on behalf of your time and consideration of you coming onto the podcast, Credit Eco to Go would like to make a small donation on your behalf to a charity or an organization that you feel strongly about. Uh, it can be anything. Uh, it can be COVID-related. It can be non-COVID-related. And I'm wondering if you have selected an organization uh, that you would like I to have, Joanne, and I think this is a wonderful thing that you do um, for, for these organizations on behalf of your guests and your, your um, listening audience, I would like the contribution to go to the Alzheimer's Association. Absolutely. We have been touched in our family by that disease in a very personal way. Uh, not, not me just yet, not to be flippant about it, but anyway, I don't want to, but, but nonetheless, um, the Alzheimer's Association, I think, does great work and work that benefits um, a very growing population of patients and affected parties. So thank you. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, now more than ever, it's so hard to see elderly uh, relatives who may be in nursing homes, who may be infirmed. And these associations through Zoom calls or through any type of connection have been really helpful to a lot of people. So excellent choice. And uh, we thank you that on your behalf. And again, thank you. Roseanne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I could talk to you for hours. I have to do a couple more podcasts. Um, oh, my so pleasure. Please, thank you. Please come back. And, okay. and thank you all for listening to Credit Ego to Go. Information about any of our podcasts or future podcasts, please go to my bio page at clarkhill.com or to my LinkedIn page. All episodes of Credit Ego to Go can be found on Buzzsprout and Spotify. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditego2go at clarkhill.com. Thank you, be well, and stay safe. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.